0: You're listening to American Citizens, a Manchester City podcast by American journalists. Aguero! Sergio, the savior again. Aguero riding to Manchester City's rescue. As for
1: the first time in this semifinal. They are ahead of aggregate. Here's Sterling but he keeps it in, and De Bruyne is there!
2: And it
0: is dead level now.
1: Manchester City are still alive here. Balotelli, Aguero.
0: Here's your host,
3: Josh Webb and great Captain. Hello, and welcome to the newest episode, whenever you're listening to it, hopefully, of the American Citizens Podcast. As usual, I'm here with Josh. Say hi, Josh. Hi, Josh. Very good. And for the first time, we're fortunate enough That someone has taken the time to uh, stop by, donate their time, and we have a guest. And um, so we'd like to introduce to you Sam Leah, the Manchester City correspondent for Goal. And um, welcome to the show, Sam. Thanks for taking the time to talk to us. No problem. Thanks for having me on. So we have a lot to get to this week. And um, the only logical starting point, I think, for us was to start with the fact that First of all, Manchester City introduced Pep Guardiola over the weekend, and we have gotten our first real solid quotes from him since being confirmed as the boss about the club itself, how he's going to do things, how things are going to work around here, so let's dive right into that, particularly the uh, the interview that he did with Noel Gallagher, which for me, I, yeah. I enjoyed... I kind of, first of all, I enjoyed that, judging from some of the comments, you know, I'm, not, I'm I'm weirdly enjoyed things like this, but I took note that it was filmed at the end of May, so I like all these clandestine visits to the CFA that have been happening. I know we have a couple... Very sneaky. Very, yes, very snaky. sneaky. And I know that we have a couple of quotes that we pulled from that, that Josh in particular wanted to talk about, so I'll let you lead the way on that because you were you you took a lot out of this interview as i understand it
0: well i i thought that the interview was fascinating on a couple of fronts i mean the first of which is and sam Maybe maybe you can speak to this because I've I've tried to 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 explain to people like I told my roommate, uh, you know, and and he's an Oasis fan just fine. But he's like, really? No Gallagher's the first guy they got to interview Pep like you think it'd be like a really noted journalist. And I had to explain that, you know, in America, the, the, the 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 culture around sports dictates that somebody like a, a peter king or a scott van pelt uh, a, you know espn or si personality would do that but this was on citizens weekend um and for that matter i thought noel acquitted himself fairly well as a journalist and it with the questions that he was asking so i guess my my first question to you would be two parts uh one, how common is that sort of practice for, for clubs to have people like Gallagher do it instead of a noted journalist? And two, what were your thoughts?
2: Yeah, well, it's not, it's not really common, you know, to have, I, I suppose, a, a celebrity in their own right to do it. Um, it's certainly not common that a journalist would do it, I don't think. Certainly not a journalist that's not employed by the club. Um, you see with Mourinho today, uh, United are doing... Uh, a separate exclusive interview with you know the the guy who commentates on their matches and you know does all does all their games Stuart Gardner you know that's very much an an in-house thing so the alternative for City probably would have been somebody who does their you know their media channels to do it they certainly I don't think they would have thrown it open to one of us journalists or even some of the more experienced guys certainly not even more more experienced than me uh yeah i don't think any of us would have would have got a sniff of doing it um the fact that they gave it to Gallagher, i I mean i quite liked it you know like like i say it wouldn't have never occurred to an english club i don't think to have to have thrown that open to to a journalist on the outside um and if they were going to do it like this they obviously wanted to do the the quirky route and like i say it was the whole citizens weekend uh so i think I don't suppose there would have been too many better people to do it. You know, Gallagher's always cropping up at the at the big city games and you know, he's becoming more and more prominent of a a celebrity fan, and he so.
0: definitely knows his stuff. Like, yeah, I mean, don't don't. He's not one of those. Like in America, we have Spike Lee who shows up, and Spike Lee is like fairly knowledgeable. But when Spike Lee jumps out there and quotes or 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 offers his quotes or opines on Twitter, they're never necessarily filled with like deep thought about the subject. It's it's usually a one off. I thought in this instance, the questions he asked. We're journalistic in nature.
1: Why, why did you choose to come to City now? Um, and how tough do you think the task is going to be? I, I choose Manchester City, but they won me for
4: a long time ago. Uh, because Chiqui and Ferran are here, because I know them for a long time. I played with Chigi and uh, Ferran was aboard in my first period in Barcelona. And the challenge is to uh, play as best as possible. Uh, always will be our titles or our good successful will be consequence in our way we're going to play. And I want to convince uh, these guys uh, to play as best as possible. Uh, and, uh, and try the, the people who not just Manchester City fans, of course, but the football fans in the world can be proud to see us how we play.
2: Yeah, and the good thing was, you know, that there were a few where it wasn't just it wasn't just soft. It wasn't just the kind of questions that oh, you know, how great is it to be here and is it a dream come true and this kind of thing that you'd expect from most Premier League clubs these days. And even even the wording of it, I think when he said, you know, we did our best to muck it up and finish outside the top four last season, what were you thinking? You know, that that isn't, you know, that's probably one of the questions that you'd expect to be asked on Friday at Guardiola's official. Um, unveiling in front of the press. So, so yeah, I mean, as well as him, you know, being a good choice to do it, he, he actually, you know, he, had, he handled it pretty well because, you know, he spent 20 years being interviewed and, you know, all of a sudden the shoe's on the other foot with, you know, a superstar of the game. Uh, you know, this, this guy, you know, I suppose he had no... I mean, we all know what Guardiola does and we all kind of know what he's like, but I don't think... Anybody could know exactly what to expect before this weekend if we were gonna go and go and sit down with it. You know, in terms of be, us being in the UK and in the states, you know, it's all kind of been in in foreign languages, and you, if you haven't exactly followed it at the time, it's kind of been re-reported since. So, I thought, yeah, he handled it really well, and yeah, the, the questions he asked, you know, especially that, how did you feel about last season, and not just taking the easy route. I thought it was it was all it was all pretty good. Yeah, it was, and it it straddled that line pretty well, really. know it it wasn't all for the fans thing and and it wasn't all for the media it was I think it was it was perfectly in between the two
0: I thought one of the most telling things about that interview was was the way he sort of addressed the Bayern Munich situation and 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 I mean he flat out called it for what it was. He's like, you know, if you win, it's great. If you lose, you know it's a bunch of bullshit. You know, I mean, he flat yeah, just yeah, yeah. said exactly what it was and I thought for me that was really telling because I, whether or not he was opening up on that front just to open up, I I, I thought for him it was a real recognition of sort of the attacks that are almost certain to come his way the first time he fails in England. It's almost like he's mentally prepared himself. And and I know he was asked about that, but I wanted to get your thoughts on what your sense about that is. Like the the English press probably more so than than even the American press from, from God from what we've seen after the the Euros uh this is a man they love to nuke their idols and pep is certainly going to be somewhat of an idol for 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 the premier league he's the best manager in the world so to speak and definitely something that strengthens the premier league along with guys like conte and Mourinho, whatever you think of him wenger and klopp uh it certainly makes this a premier destination but but given Pep's honesty with Gallagher about that, how well do you think that portends for what he will face with the British media?
2: Yeah. You mentioned about him preparing himself for it. And I think, you know, when he was still at Bayern, he said, um, you know, if people, if people think this has been a failure, I'm going to have to deal with that. You know, it's, it's, that's obviously not what he thinks. And there was more of that in the Gallagher interview as well. He, he obviously thinks that, you know, and you know, rightly so. Bayern will not in the league every year before he turned up, but they, you know, obviously they did the season before he took over. But when he actually took the job, there was no guarantees that they were going to do so. And but he he made them into that relentless league winning machine, and obviously they're always there or they're about in the cups as well. So then for people to turn around and say it, it's a failure, you know, that is going to be hard for. For Guardiola to take obviously because he knows the work that's gone into it and even if people can appreciate it they i don't think everyone's gonna fully understand exactly how how much work actually went into it. obviously there's been the book written on his first season at bayern i mean i can't imagine how many pages could be written over the whole full three years and just the work gone into it year on year to to make that team better it would be very difficult for him to accept that people would regard that as a failure. So coming into England, when you know there, there may well be people already, you know, hoping or would maybe not hoping but would certainly enjoy it if he were to fail. Maybe that that probably is something he's prepared for. And, and I suppose you know, going through the process of a of a still a young manager, but also a manager who's still learning, regardless of age. It's probably the first time he's had to deal with these these feelings and this kind of reaction because at Barcelona, you know, everything, everything pretty much went his way, and if it didn't go his way, like when they lost the Ray final to Real Madrid, they won the league and the Champions League anyway, so it, it didn't really matter. Uh, obviously, I don't think it's going to be that straightforward in England. There's going to be a lot more challenges, but he's certainly he's certainly heading in with that mentality that you know people are going to be. Looking for him to fail, or maybe expecting him. You know, the, another part of his answer was, you know, the, you know, some people in Germany as well as say, as well as in England, are saying, you can't play that style in the Premier League; it's too demanding. But he says, why not? You know, I'm here to to try, and let's see how it goes. He is going to be, you know, he's going to be wanting to to prove to himself first and foremost that he can do it his way, and that he can be successful. But he's going to want to prove to the people who he knows will think that he can't do it. So. I mean, that can only be a good thing for City, surely. And I think we may want to come to this later on, but, you know, Fer- Ferran Soriano, the CEO, gave an interview over the weekend. As we all knew, Guardiola was never going to turn up on the 1st of July when his contract starts To go, okay, right, where do we start? Basically, as soon as won that German Cup at the end of May, he was, he was focusing on City. And Soriano has said he, he had to tell Guardiola at some point between the end of May start of July look you need a vacation because you're focusing too much on City already I mean that I think that kind of that speaks volumes as much as anything else
1: How are you and your team I think you're bringing your team from Munich with you Are you going to prepare for the work world even?
4: Well, uh, that is the truth. When you see the statistics in the last two, three, four fights in the Premier League, every team winning every team, uh, the other ones, but every team lose for the other ones. Mm. So it's difficult to find one team for five, six victories in a row. So it's so difficult to find it. And uh, it not happened in one season where Leicester... uh, Was an amazing surprise for everybody and win the Premier League. I think for the last last years, that that is that is amazing. What I have to do to to control that or to avoid that, to not to be able to win in a row or to lose uh, uh, more often than the past. So I don't know. So I never I never been here before. I never experienced here. So that's why I'm here. So to to if we are able to win one game, and after three days later said why we cannot win again. And one week later, why we cannot try again to win like we did in the last two games. That is the the reason why I'm here in England, because in Barcelona, in uh, Bayern Munich, in, in Spain, in, in Germany, we were able to do that. And maybe the people say, bad because we were in Barcelona, we were in Bayern Munich. So, yeah, that's true. But uh, people say, you will not be able to do that in, in England. So, okay, let's do it. We're going to try it.
0: Yeah and you know before we move on I, you you brought up a couple points in there that were outstanding first of which the the book that you mentioned if if you haven't had a chance to read that book I highly recommend it. It's called Pep Confidential. Um, the only thing I could think of today was when, when when they were showing the videos of all the players showing up. I'm, I'm sitting there thinking, these dudes have no idea what they're in for. Like, get yeah. ready, get ready to do rondos all day long. You know, I was just recalling that chapter of of the exercises that Guardiola and Buonaventura. Uh, put them through um to introduce them to 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 what football would be like, and there was that quote where um I forget who it was that he pulled aside but but he said do you want do you want to learn how to play football and like no, do you want to learn how to play football like you're going to relearn everything you thought you knew and learning was a word that was mentioned over and over and over again Mm -hmm. in that press conference. And I thought for me, one of the more fascinating aspects of that interview is more than coming in. Like I thought you look at the, the the difference between the two press conferences where you have Mourinho saying, yeah, I'm disappointed. We're in Europa league. Yeah. I'm disappointed about this and like that. And you're like, all right, so you can tell how that's going to go. Um, versus Guardiola, who comes in and says, you know, I'm here to learn, and we're going to try and win one game, and then three days later, we're going to try and win another game. And then a week after that, we're going to try and win one more. But if things don't work, I'm here to learn. I'm here to adapt. Uh, If his pressing style doesn't work, what adaptations could you see Guardiola making aside from a, a, an enlarged squad that would stay tactically within his wheelhouse but suit the demands of the Premier League?
2: Jeez, what a question! Um, well, I'm sh- I'm sure. First of all, I'm maybe trying to console myself here that maybe maybe he doesn't doesn't know himself, and maybe that's something he'd have to try and work out. Um, further down the line, for me to try and preempt that now, um, it's it's so hard because the two sides uh, are tied so intrinsically together. You know, it's it's using the ball quickly and getting yourself into a position where you use the ball. So if you were to lose it, you're in a position to win it back. So the pressing and the passing go so hand in hand. I don't think it's a case of you know if if the, the team didn't have the legs to press so much that you know they could still try and keep the ball but maybe you know but, but 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 keep the ball 20 yards further back the pitch because it's 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 all tied into the positioning of it as well it it's not just it's not just using the ball and keeping possession but it's where you, you use it and keep the possession and i mean perhaps perhaps he would be so smart and so canny as to realize that you know if that wasn't to work, you know, maybe he would go. Well, he'd scratch his head a few times and go. Well, does it have to be? Does it have to be counter-attacking then? Do we use these these quick players to to switch? Obviously, you know, he's he's used Boateng as you know to to use the most prominent example of of a centre back who can who can spring long passes from the back. He wanted Imeric Laporte from Athletic Bilbao to do the same thing to to switch it. And and I think Benucci the they, long passes.
0: Rumours about, yes,
2: too. yeah. So, 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 perhaps you know, there's the transferable skills there of fast players, because obviously they've got Sterling already. Um, Nolito's not quite as quick, but you know, he's he's no slouch. Um, De Bruyne is fast. Uh, Leroy Sané. is probably come to later but is probably going to be signed as well they've wanted Yang, probably going to be too expensive may not happen but you know they're looking for fast players put so a mean, pin a sudden, in the Obama to...
0: Yang discussion because i want to yeah. circle back to that in the context of of marino a
2: little bit later yeah sure um but but like i say that they've got fast attacking players and they've got people like Gundogan and they're looking at people like Stones and they wanted Laporte, people who can play long passes, who can switch things up. So, you know, if if everything were to go to pot and they went back to square one, you know, a counter-attacking game, God, I mean, to, to look at this in black and white and say I've gone onto a podcast to talk about Pep Guardiola playing a counter-attacking game is not going to look good. But if everything backfired and that's how it went, you know, there would be that option. But like I say, it's so difficult to separate the pressing from the passing and the intensity because you know that's what it's all about it all comes together and that's why it's been so successful and that's why certain players make the grade and certain players are never going to make it from day one but like I say there's enough options in the squad and I think Guardiola's flexible enough even going back to his final season at Barca when he tried three at the back and you know he wanted to Overload different areas using players in different roles. You know, he's flexible enough that even something as radically different as a counter attacking approach, it could work if need be. But I think it's mainly going to be, you know, you've got a big squad, but the majority of that, you know, extended squad would be young players. He's going to want those young players who can come in and make the contribution, particularly in like the League Cup. You know, the League Cup is something he's never going to experience before. This. You know, third domestic competition. If I were him, and even if he gets criticized for devaluing it, which he will do, even though it's pretty much as devalued as possible, he should use that as a youth tournament. You know, cities, youngsters, the under-19s, sorry, the under-18s are going to play in the under-19s, and all the under-19s are going to be in the EDS and reserves. Everyone else is either going to be in the first team or loaned out. They then bump the age group up, the under, the, sorry, the over-19s, the 20-year-olds, 21-year-olds. They should be the ones playing in the League Cup, which will then buy them a bit of time. And it will also help them contribute to Premier League, FA Cup, Champions League games. So the burden of the, and the passing isn't so great on the rest of the squad. So I think that is how he could counteract that in the advance of the, of the Premier League, how he could also improve the young players. And also, yeah, if it was to go to pot and they need to start again, then, you know, even something as direct and as easy as a counterattack could still work.
0: And I, you mentioned Nolito. So now's a good a time as any to kick it over to my buddy Gray and let him sort of probe away at some of the questions he asked about Nolito on our Nolito special podcast that I didn't quite have the answer for. So, Gray, you want to take charge of this one?
3: One of the things that struck me from the Noel interview um, was that he strikes me as a man with something to prove because he said things like, you know, I've been told the Premier League is hard. They say I can't adapt. So that's why I'm here because it sounds like having managed and been subjected to the criticisms of, well, he's had two really easy jobs and he has one league particularly at Bayern in a league where f- for a club of that stature it would be harder to lose the league than it would be to win it i think he craves the opportunity to prove himself on a stage like this and kind of silence all those people who are saying well he can't do it in england like a real league or whatever and the other thing i got and um i don't it's it's a minor thing that happened toward the end of it um was, you know, the the cursory question about, do you have a message for the fans? And I, I, I like the first thing he asked was, which camera am I looking into? Because, and I'm not, you know, I'm not there. So you can correct me if I'm wrong. But from reading things online and following along, I have gotten the sense that after three years of Pellegrini and the fact that his press conferences and his media things were... Quite dry Which I don't begrudge him for But it's just a fact of life I think there I I always got the sense that For some fans there was a certain detachment They didn't really feel Like the connection they'd felt before And I think I mean I made the joke On Twitter on Saturday that Guardiola only already showed More personality in 15 minutes than Pellegrini showed in 3 years Which you know I don't care if my manager is hopping around Or not hopping around or whatnot, But I thought it was Quite refreshing that he was I mean So expressive And you know the the point where You want to address the fans Which camera am I looking in I just thought that was You know It's a change from what we have Seen the last few years And I kind of appreciated that Because I mean I don't Really care if they're going to be dry, but after three years of it, I found it refreshing, personally, from a personal standpoint. Yeah, I think to be honest, I've kind of got off.
2: They are going to get quite dry um, over the over the next few weeks and months, and you know over, over the course of the three years. But I don't expect that to make any difference. I don't think fans will care about that because on the pitch, it will be so much better. You know the the problem with Pellegrini bond was that the football was either boring or bad. No, you know, obviously there were good points. There and there were a lot of good points. But you know when it was when it was boring or bad, it was very boring or very bad. Uh, and then the whole you know his demeanor and personality and press conference thing all came into it. But I think Guardiola can pretty much say what he wants as long as they play football as people are expecting him to play. I don't think it's, it's going to make any difference, but it was certainly it was a really good start. I, and I actually thought he was he seemed pretty nervous when he first started the the Gallagher interview, which um, which is normal, I suppose. And uh, and obviously considering he's been speaking, you know, his the second language that he's been speaking the last three years has been German. And he went to New York as he said to learn English, but ended up learning German. Um, so he's he's just very much still getting himself back into the rhythm, getting to know what to expect first of all by by being interviewed by a millionaire singer who was massive in the nineties and is man through and through and probably I suppose quite difficult to understand if you're coming from that Spanish speaking, German speaking mix for the last three years, but also just, just, just getting to grips with the whole new club thing. You know, that was all on top of the language and the, the surreal nature of being interviewed by Noel Gallagher. It's, it, it was it was a it was a good start, and yeah, I can see why fans particularly are, are lapping up how it started, and and I'm sure I'm sure it'd be pretty illuminating on as well if the right questions are asked. So I, mean, I think there could be there could be potential for some clashes of culture over the next few years, if you know if the English journalists like myself focus maybe on the narrative and on the story rather than rather than on the the issues that Guardiola sees as important, such as you know the evolution of the players and. Uh, the performances on the training ground and you know, their suitability to philosophy and, th- and this kind of thing. There'll be things that he considers important that maybe we don't and then there'll be things we consider important that he doesn't. So that'll be interesting to see. But yeah, like I say, I, I think they might I, they might get dry at some point, um, especially if Mourinho carries on staying out of the war of words like he promised to today. Uh, there might not be too much for him to... To get his teeth into, in terms of a controversy standpoint, but like I said, I don't expect the fans to worry about that at all.
3: Yeah, I agree with that. As long as it's, it's just, it's people won't care as long as he wins ultimately. So we were transitioning over to uh, Nolito, and this is a question that I asked. Josh on the last our, our our Nolito special, so to speak, and that was yeah. roughly. Um, while no, it's not. Squad numbers don't strictly correspond to a position anymore. There is absolutely still some significance in like the number nine shirt, the number ten shirt, number seven shirt, so on and so forth. Um, should we be reading into? Th- and reading anything into the fact that Nolito was given the number nine shirt, or is that just a thing that happened? In in terms of if is he going to play centre forward next season? In terms of his role and if it is significant toward you know is he going to be hmm. playing centrally, playing wide? Is that neither some... one
0: of us believe in any shape or form that he's going to displace Aguero?
3: But no, I don't think he's he's not a a Wilfred Bonnie replacement either. I don't think, but you know. I guess what no, that, that made me wonder what they have in mind for him role wise. Yeah,
2: uh, the thing is with Guardioli, I mean, I've I've kind of toyed with the idea of somebody playing centrally, but but you know dropping back the, the false nine kind of role, and then you know, but with Aguero and I'm trying to work out if Aguero could come in from the right because you know he's, he he can spend a bit of time out there. Towards the end of last season, he did. And, but these aren't things that you know necessarily are going to happen. You just kind of think the Guardiola look look, you know, where are people going to fit in? But this was mainly when I was trying to think where De Bruyne is going to fit in. Because it's either going to you'd think it's either going to be as a false nine, which doesn't really suit him because he's much better running towards the goal, or maybe in, in a central midfield role, certainly if City don't sign another central midfielder, then you know, he, he could be really useful. If there were to be three, kind of as the most advanced one of them, um, but in terms of Nalito filling that false nine role, it's again he 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 seems to be, you know he would he would work when they haven't got the ball obviously because the the pressing uh, routine that he's kind of picked up under Toto Barizzo at, at Salta in the last few years after after Luis Enrique left, you know he's really come on in terms of that aspect, you know that front-foot approach, not letting the defenders sell. Obviously, he has worked primarily on the left-hand side basically since he left Benfica where he played on the right a couple of times. Uh, in terms of reading into the number nine, I'd read more into the fact that was the manager and he could try anyone anywhere rather than the actual number itself. I'm trying to look at you know the alternatives he could have been given because you think Kolarov would probably go and then you've got 11 there. It seems like... Uh, yeah, Gundogan's getting sixteen. Uh, I'm not sure about the numbers. I, I, I'm not sure about them. Uh, as a, a number nine, I wouldn't be surprised. If, and again, you know, you talk about squad rotation and the, the demands of the English game. I don't think we'd be surprised if he were to crop up there. He's he's obviously come in for a number of reasons. Obviously, one is because he's very good on the ball. Uh, two is he's very good without the ball. Um, so, and three, he can you know he can teach the other players such as Raheem Sterling. How to do that, particularly from the left hand side, uh, and also you got Leroy Sané, who might well come in, who's nineteen. 20. Can I
0: can I ask a question about that? Well, well, it's up because we had talked yeah. literally about that exact thing that Nolito, much like that book that we were talking about earlier, where it was is Tiago or nobody. The hmm. primary function of Tiago was to sort of be that on the field liaison. Letting players know what's expected of them in this new style, which is what I think Nolito is meant to do. He's going to be that role. Yes. Um. But my 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 question is, why do people insist on placing Sterling on the left? What what what's the obsession with putting him on the left when it feels like he is a right winger? Why why is he constantly on the left?
2: Uh. Well. I suppose we might get to this later on as well. I don't. I'm not really sure if he's either because the way you know the way he hits the ball when he comes inside in terms of his finishing. and I know there's a lot made about his finishing and how it's not that good, but it, you know it's actually better than what people think. But you know it's not. It's not great. And the way he hits the ball when he comes in, it's not like you know when Pedro would come in off that when he played on the left hand side for Barcelona. It's not. It's not the same kind of left to right finish it's he's not really suited to that but at the same time I don't think he's really suited to the right wing either um, you've got it you'd have him using his pace to go past people but then going away from goal and having to put a cross in and his, his crossing's not particularly strong in fact his well his crossing last season was pretty bad but everyone at City's was pretty bad because City didn't really have a crossing strategy other than just to get to the ball on and clatter it across as as low and hard as possible um, but you're right to an extent that people have just assumed that Sterling's going to play on the left now, and that was mainly a Pellegrini thing. You know, obviously Brendan Rodgers played him everywhere, um, and you can't you can't imagine Guardiola is just going to come in and do what, uh, what Pellegrini was doing. So there are you know there are a number of options available to him, I think, but I do think the left hand side is probably the way they're going to want to do it, and especially if you know they bring in Sané as well because then Sané is left-footed and can play off the right so you've 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 then got the inverted wingers who come inside and the full backs who go outside and the striker who drops off for the for the for the wingers to run into I I do think that I do think the left is is probably still in the best place where he can get get some joy uh I I don't think there's going to be a number ten role next year for anybody to fill, let alone Sterling. And I don't, I don't really see it on the right. But what, what I mean, what do you, what do you think about him playing on the right hand side? What makes you think that that you know that that's where he'll be long term or could be long term? I,
0: I just kind of feel like coming in from the left, he he doesn't quite seem to feel as confident as when I see him coming from the opposite direction. It seems to be a lot more hesitation. There seems to be uh, maybe a bit too much time spent on the ball, thinking about his next step where the defender is just like, all right, dude, well, while you're thinking about it, I'm just going to shut the ball and take it from you. And, and that's sort of what leads to him being fouled so much, is I think that he spends so much time on the ball thinking. And, but I also know through that book that what Guardiola likes to primarily do with his wingers in those situations is limit them to about 40 yards. He likes to hmm. reduce the amount of distance that they cover, at least that's what he did with Ribery. So I don't know how much of that is then going to trickle over. But one thing you did say in your response that has me slightly concerned is that you don't think there will be a functional number 10 next year, which, oddly enough, seems to be the general consensus of De Bruyne's best position. So what then and and I'm not trying to necessarily steal the con- steer the conversation away from Delito but in the context of adding Delito on what does that mm. then do for De Bruyne in terms of displacement because we've all seen that number 10 is unequivocally the finest spot for him
2: Yeah well the good thing is with De Bruyne, um you know if if Sterling doesn't quite work out for Guardiola, and you know, there's no reason why he won't. Uh, well, there's not too many reasons why he won't. Uh, but De Bruyne is definitely going to work out. You know, Guardiola would love to work with him. You know, uh, he's he's just going to be great. I mean, De Bruyne could well be the best player in the Premier League for the next few years under Guardiola. It's I think it's going to work wherever he puts him, or it might even be the case where he goes well. Guardiola thinks oh, it has to be it has to be number ten, and and then they he changes the system to make it work because De Bruyne is so influential around that, and then essentially you've got a team that is built around De Bruyne, but obviously you know with everyone else playing their part too, um, and and feeding into that, uh, the 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 thing that makes me think that is... I don't know I just kind of got the feeling it would be, uh, I mean. I suppose it depends on what you classify as a as a midfield three, because and when I said before there'd be a midfield three, and maybe De Bruyne would be at the head of that. That could easily be, you know, that could easily be a number ten. But then it could also be a number eight. But then, it, but De Bruyne, the way he runs with the ball, he could be one of these he, who Guardiola doesn't want running eighty yards with it, like Robin and Ribery. He could be one who only wants to to come alive in the in the last forty meters as well. But. So will most likely play centrally I suppose it's just it, it's just a question of his starting position and I mean maybe he will be where a number 10 usually would be high up the pitch and yeah and central but obviously he'd be high up the pitch and central because he'd be he'd be pressing and he'd be doing all of, all the normal jobs that Guardiola would want but then also he, he might be expected to to go back and you know, if they can't win the ball back within those first three seconds, you know, maybe he would drop back in deeper to make it more of a midfield three. But, as you know, last season, the positions were a bit more, you know, a bit more regimented, weren't they? It was a bit like, right, you're playing in midfield, you're playing up front. There wasn't much cohesion, and that was, you know, one of the big problems with Pellegrini by the end. But with Guardiola, you know, set positions and set More tactics, of a total football uh, as, approach. As we understand them, yeah, exactly. I think it's going to be a lot more fluid, And... Yeah, maybe, maybe when I say it's not, there won't be a number ten. I mean, maybe, maybe there will be. Maybe it'll be, you know, maybe it won't be the number ten role as we know, but there'll still be somebody central. Um, I think these are all things we're going to have to see, and this is you know, these are one of the things that Guardiola will be working out right now, is where we can where we can play these and get the best out of them. And then I suppose going back to Nolito, he, yeah, I mean, I think he's primarily going to be on on the left hand side, and then. But then that it kind of feeds back into the striker. And if you've got a number ten who's so high up the pitch and pressing, you know they're going to be right upside there, uh, alongside the striker there. They could be effectively another another number nine. But then if they also need to get back and do midfield work, you know they're going to need to get through a lot of leg work. But they look they're going to need to be able to tackle. They're going to be to be able to run with the ball. They're going to need to be able to finish. Fortunately, who does that describe? Does Kevin De Bruyne roll over? You know he might find himself playing central midfield and centre forward in the same game next season, and that might be that might be the key to Guardiola's whole approach, and that might be what the number ten is. That might be the next, you know, instead of what a false he, nine. So this might this might be the next incarnation.
0: In other words, it would be the Mario Götze experiment with a guy who can actually produce.
2: Yes, with a guy who can actually do it. Yeah, um, that's, and that's yeah. Götze Gert, yeah. never really worked out, did he? I'll, yeah, with because you know he's played Thomas Muller effectively in that, that central midfield I, role. that's kind
0: of what I was wondering if De Bruyne would take over that role of what Muller tends to play with Bayern, where Lewandowski is is obviously the defined striker, much like Aguero would be in this system, but Muller sort of operates as a. Well, a second striker, sort of midfield center forward, whatever you want to call him. I mean, the guy is sort Mm. of a jack of all trades and and has stamina for days. I guess the, 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 the one question that pops up in my head about this is in this pressing system with Aguero already being so injury prone, my worry is that he already plays such a physical style, which I think leads to a lot of his injuries. And you can't take that dog out of Aguero. I, I think that that's, that would be, in a sense, muting his personality. Part of what makes him who he is is that he's he may be diminutive, but he's he's so physical and he's so difficult to get off the ball and then he can do things with his feet that human beings should not be able to do and i don't mind him moving forward and pressing but i can't help but wonder if if you think this may lead to more injuries down the line for him
2: yeah well Gardiola's squads especially a buyer and they you know, they did tend to have a lot of injuries and and these things are Part and parcel of the playing such a a high pressing, you know, high intensity game, uh, and with Aguero, with them all normally being muscle injuries, I know a couple of years ago I went back to him having the knee injury, which fortunately seems to have got over. But but maybe the the muscle injuries are part of that. Um, I suppose the short answer is is yeah, I think we can probably expect Aguero to to miss as, as much of the season as as much as next season as he as he has done the last few, and then and then it will come down to. Uh, yeah, whether Nelito plays as, as, a, as a number nine, as it says on his back, or whether he trusts Iheanacho to go straight in there. Because there's not going to be anybody else, it doesn't seem.
1: All the players have only great things to say about you. How, do you. how do you balance out kind of driving the players on, yet still retaining their affection and respect? Is it, is it something that just happens, or is there, is, there, is there like a trick that you do? Or
4: So, I don't know. I don't know, because I don't know, it's, it's difficult to, to think about uh, what do you think or what the people think about you, so I don't know, but, but I think they know I am here 24 hours thinking uh, and, uh, about them, so uh, I, I love my job, I love what I do, and they have to know, they have to know, they will realize I am here just thinking and working for them, that is uh, maybe I'm the reason why at the end, some of them, because the people doesn't play, they hate me, so that is what it is in all the managers in the world, but normally the people, the people, uh, uh, you know, who try to 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 understand the game or, or try to to know what we do that and not the other, you know, the other situation. They, they, okay, we'll have a good relation.
1: Because I read, I, I, you know, you read somewhere that, uh, I don't know, I think it was a Bayern Munich player, you'd signed a guy and he turned up at first date training and you said to him, Are you ready to play football? And he said, Yeah. And you said to him, No, but are you ready to play football? <laughs> That's like Star Wars. It, do you know what I mean? That's like, <laughs> like a Jedi mind trick. Did you Jedi mind trick him and like confuse him into being a great player? I think he ended up with like the winger Douglas Costa, wasn't it? Like one of the best now.
4: Yeah, uh, yeah. But some Did of the. You, you know I mean,
1: Did you try and get inside players' heads, and of course, at the end, our job is to convince the other guys or so to convince
4: the guys that, that is the best way to to go to the the cross the road. So that is what it is. So the tactics is important, and the, the trainings and the facilities, but at the end, is how I have what I have to do to convince you.
0: Well, I think that's a perfect segue, Gray, unless you have anything more on Nolito to, to sort of jump in and throw around some some transfer talk discussion, or do you want to, to, to go into Raheem and then transfer talk? I feel like we could save Raheem for last. It's the heavier of the topics.
3: It is the heavier of the topics, so we can do that. Um, so, the lighter fare, <laughs> the yes. transfer talk, and- um, and you mentioned earlier the uh Sam the Soriano quote from that he gave to the BBC over the weekend where we have two in and we have two more in advanced stages but players don't like to announce after the euros um i think most people most supporters took that to mean John Stones and Leroy Sané um you've both two guys that have The names have already been mentioned here. So, you know, I would you say, should, should we feel, obviously, these things are never done until they're done. Things can change, as we've seen in both this transfer window and the previous summer's transfer window. But are we feeling pretty confident that Stones, and I know the BBC had something on Stones this morning as well about how he wants to play for Man City, Hmm. Um, as well as Sine. do we feel good about those players quite possibly coming to Manchester City?
2: Yeah, definitely. I, I I'd, I'd be surprised if if they if they weren't two of the players that Soriano was talking about um, regarding the the story today about Stones having made up his mind. As far as I know, he, he he's made up his mind for a for a, for a good long time. I, I think he's he's always. Well, certainly as long as Guardiola's been confirmed as the next city manager, I think that was pretty much enough for him to to uh, to turn his head. Um, it doesn't seem like Everton are going to resist this summer. Obviously, they're going to want a lot of money, and the figure now we're up to is £50 million. Pounds, but it doesn't seem like they're just going to knock it back and knock it back. I think part of getting Koeman in would have been to say, uh, we're going to sell John Stones, we're going to have £50 million and then we can rebuild from there. and you know, it's it's going to be in your hands to rebuild. Um, and as for Leroy Sané, it's gone pretty quiet in Germany, but you kind of get the feeling with Germany, they're not... You get the feeling their press wouldn't pedal transfer stories and this kind of stuff while the player was involved with their own national team at a major international championship. It just doesn't seem like the German way of doing things. And I mean, the way Build have carried on recently about whoever it is, whichever player, whether it's Sane or Aubameyang or whoever else, oh, the club are only going to sell for sixty million euros, seventy million euros. or oh, and or then if it gets done, oh, this is this is the mega money that, that um, the United or City or whoever would pay. It's the same with Mkhitaryan, you know. I think they revealed his wages the other day, but I think that's just. Come straight from the clubs. The clubs want it out there that you know they want a lot of money for him. Or, oh, look, it was only big English clubs with all their money who could actually afford to pay this crazy stuff. Don't pin it on us for selling him. But like I say, even that's going to require because I don't think they want to go through that while Sané's at, at the Euros and taking part with Germany. But as soon as it's finished and Germany could well win it, then I think it's it's gonna be one of those. It's been on the table long enough, as Soriano said himself, you know, these deals are far enough down the line. Um Sane could probably go on holiday, tell his agent, look, sort it out, and then he'll fly in just as Nolito did last week, take his pictures at the training ground, do an interview, and maybe well, maybe he'll do that and then go on holiday like, exactly as Nolito did. Um so yeah, those two, they've you know, they've been in the pipeline for a long time. Sane was first mentioned in in January, I think Stones couldn't date on that. Actually, but that's been going on for months. There's, the interest was certainly confirmed from City's end in in March, and yeah, unless anything goes wrong, now we're at the stage like Mkhitaryan to United, where it's going to happen unless something big goes wrong. Yeah, I think I think that's the stage we're at with those two. Okay, all right,
0: who so, big, oh, big money? Big money? No, go ahead, Gray. If you
3: had a follow up, by all means. No, if you had a follow-up, by all means, we can argue over this. You go first.
0: (laughs) Okay. Um, So my question is sort of tied to a little bit about what Mourinho have said in addition to what Telegraph seemed to be reporting about United's very serious interest in Pogba to the point that they've told Juventus they're willing to to match their obscene three-figure – or – I guess it would be six, figure, six plus figures, six-plus figures, nine figures, uh, uh, asking price. But, okay, let's assume for a second. I don't know the, the veracity of that. I don't know if, if that seems to be true. Uh, thus far, Mourinho does seem to – I, I mean – Zlatan, I'm not overly impressed by his signing. He's a 34 year old who I would argue had mixed results at the Euro. You've seen my impassioned tweets about him. Um, I I do think that when City played uh, a PSG over those two legs, that if if Elakim Mingala can you know basically silence you, that makes me wonder how well you're going to do in the Premier League on a weekly basis because certainly that physicality is going to be matched weekly. Uh, so it'll be curious how he holds up. But I do rate Mkhitaryan as as a great signing. Um, I know Dortmund were, you know, resigned to losing him. Uh, but in the event that, that all of a sudden, as you say, Juventus sort of look at United offering stupid money, and you're just like, at what point can you not take that, you know? Yeah. Does that sort of force City into a move? Because at that point, now United have will have signed a world class player, and to our mind, and we talked about this on our I think it was our debut episode, or or maybe it was in reference to Nolito. Uh, well, I don't. Every signing every player as a world class player is stupidly impossible, and and fans who expect that have it obviously a loose grasp on reality. But at that stage, United will have signed a world-class player, and it will be the first world-class player really signed to Manchester since Sergio Aguero. So does that then force City back to the table, maybe with somebody like an Aubameyang, because you cannot let your rival get that much of a beat on you because there is no denying that Pogba is a talent. And whether or not United put it all together this year or Mourinho fades out in three years is immaterial to the fact that Pogba would be under contract with United who would be all too happy to extend it at every possible opportunity.
2: Yeah, I think maybe any other year or any other manager... Maybe that would be the case, but obviously, if Guardiola goes back and says, "Look, we really need Aubameyang after you know after weeks of training," and maybe he's got the other signings on board, and maybe he thinks, know well, yeah, we're still missing something up front. Can we get Aubameyang?" And if City go, "Yeah, okay, we probably can," and then they'll go and do it. I don't think you know. I think it's dead for now, but it's altogether dead. But it would require a lot of money, especially as you know, Dortmund have already sold three massive players this summer. They're not going to want to do business rule is, too easily. Their,
0: their general rule is only two, and they've been sort yeah. of forced into a third. Mm. But, then, but then in terms of, you know, seeing
2: Pogba go to United and then City worrying about matching that, I don't think so because, you know, if Guardiola, if it goes the other way and, you know, a month down the line and they've got all the signings on and everything seems happy and Guardiola thinks, Look, I'm happy here. And even if they were to sign... You know, maybe if they were to sign another 19-year-old, but unlike Zinchenko, who they're going to loan out most likely, you know, if they sign someone like Sané, who's capable of contributing straight away, somebody like the I don't think i pronounced that correctly at all, but the Ajax central midfielder, if if he's happy with somebody like that, or even one of the the 19, 20-year-olds in the youth team, then I don't see any reason why City would go and throw money after Aubameyang or anybody else just to kind of keep up in the... In the headline stakes with United, because they've firmly bought into the Guardiola philosophy and the plan and the project and all this. And if Guardiola's happy with how it's going, regardless of the profile of the player, then City themselves will be happy and they won't I don't think they're gonna be forced into spending big money on players they don't necessarily need. And you know, whether guard it I think it's all gonna depend on whether Guardiola is is happy or not but if he can identify somebody else who can do it that costs less than Aubameyang and isn't a big name isn't a name that's going to rival Pogba isn't a world class arrival even you know somebody like Nolito hasn't really caught the imagination but if it gets to August and they need somebody else another Nolito then I think City would just do that I don't think they really need to get into fighting United in terms of headline arrivals or world record fees I, I just don't think there, there's any appetite for that
0: and I'm and I'm overjoyed to hear that because if you're going to buy into the plan, then it makes sense to execute the plan at every level, which, you know, Guardiola, it's not really his style to go out and sign, you know, a billion world class players. Even with the players he signed uh, this past year uh, for 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 Bayern, you look at them uh you know Douglas Costa, Kingsley Coman, etc. I mean these are obviously not world ball. I mean they are world beaters, but you know at the time it wasn't it wasn't necessarily viewed like that. It certainly wouldn't grab the same headlines as as say a Paul Pogba. So I am relieved because it does seem that throwing money after a name uh, uh it hasn't really helped city with with guys like otamendi and mangala but i look at mangala and maybe i'm in the unpopular uh camp on this one but i would prefer and i know that gray has has talked about this we're, we're sort of in agreement on this i would prefer mangala to stick around for a year because it is my belief that what's wrong with him is upstairs. You, you simply do not find defenders that have his size, pace, and strength. They do not grow on trees. Um, but if, if, if Guardiola can't get him going, get him going mentally in, in the proper direction, then at that point, you cut your losses and move on. And I would even be fine if he decided that in, in the in the winter transfer window. Just, hey, I've tried for a half a season. But I do think that there's too much of a potential for Mangala to end up like Boateng. And that would piss me off.
2: Yeah, I mentioned that to somebody else earlier on, actually, that, you know... <laughs> He, he he could well there could be that kind of stark transformation and yeah the example I use half jokingly to be honest was you know Boateng at Mangala but yeah I think it's more a case of in terms of the centre backs with with the number that are there and I know companies come back and he's you know he's all up for the next season as he was every time he he looked to recover you know City I'm pretty sure would have been happy to sell him this summer but then he got injured against Real Madrid, and that's going to be much harder to do you know politically because you know you're signing off someone who's injured um and also you know technically you know you you're selling somebody who's injured and who's going to who's going to take that risk so you know he it looks like he's going to stay but i don't expect him to stay around much longer than another year um you've got Otamendi who um I was toying with using a quote from a British sitcom, but I won't because, one, there's a lot of swearing in it, and two, nobody in the US would get the reference anyway, so I won't bother. But the thing with Otamendi is he you know, he was signed a year ago, and if you were to sell him on now, it looks bad. Um, so then you've got Mangala, who they wanted to get rid of a year ago on loan to Valencia, but he wouldn't go, um, and he didn't get any better last season. So he is the one really... That makes sense to get rid of him, uh, even, but I know, even if you know there's. I would. Argue I know what you mean. There's was, more raw ability there. He's put, He might be more suited to it than than Ottomendi. But I just think you know there's politics to how football clubs are run sometimes.
0: But when you look at this thing from and and I've said this, you know, covering American football especially at the university level where I I argue that things are so much like international football, um, even down to just how recruitment goes. Uh, You know, Pellegrini's not a guy I would dub as a developmental coach. I cannot think of a single player that improved under Pellegrini, like truthfully. Like, I can think of players who got healthy. I can think of players who just did stuff because they're amazing. But I defy anybody to find me a player that noticeably improved during Pellegrini's three years there. And that's because I don't see him as a developmental guy. So writing off Mangala and saying he doesn't have it I think is, is, is really selling what Pellegrini was about short. Like if Pellegrini were a guy who spent all his time developing players, then sure, you cut Mangala loose and, and, and you move on. But Guardiola is known for, for making players better. And this is a guy who deserves, I think, an opportunity to work with somebody that has the ability to raise his game, if that makes sense.
2: Yeah, it certainly makes sense. I, I just think, with the, the political situation surrounding the other two, it, it would just, I think it's just easier um, for Mangala to go. But, like I said, they, as I said earlier, for a different point, the club were brought into. The Guardiola outlook, and if if Guardiola decides after a few weeks that, that Mangala's the one, then he might stay. But the thing that's going to count against him there is, I think pretty much everybody in the squad, apart from the French players and the Belgian players, are going to go on tour to China. And obviously Mangala's in the squad, but hasn't played so he's not going to have that pre-season. He's not going to have that time with Guardiola. He's probably going to come back with what we're we looking at when they get back from China right at the very end of, of July, going into August. So he's going to have two weeks where he's going to have to catch up fitness-wise before he can even think about you know, getting up to the kind of standard and going through. Obviously, we've talked about this, the book about Guardiola's first year and the first summer particularly with the work he did with Javi Martinez and Boateng. Mangala's is just not going to have that option available to him. And again, talking about you know the political and just being a victim of circumstance, I suppose you know he might find, find himself sold or his agent negotiating with the, with other clubs before he's even you know before he's done his first bleep test in the summer. It's just it's it's a it's a difficult summer for Mangala in in many respects. I think not least because he's with France, but he's not actually playing.
0: And that's fair. So I, I, it'll just have to be one I do, of those. I do completely take your point about, you know, he, you know if we're considering
2: him as a, as a blank canvas and see what Guardiola could do with him, I do think it would be a very interesting one to see. Uh, and it would certainly make sense, but there are a lot of other factors at play. Yeah.
0: Yeah, and, and it certainly makes sense if you have to cut one defender. I mean, your logic definitely makes sense. It's it's more from a personal want-and-wish standpoint that I think... I, I look at Boateng, and I'm just like, this This just smacks of Boateng all over again, you know? Like, it, it just does. He is a good yes. defender. We've seen it. He just needs somebody to get in his head consistently and drill that in there. And I don't think Pellegrini is that type of a guy. He was too much of a player's coach. And I think that not having a a consistent pairing back there last year did him really any favors. Although, when he and Otamendi uh, were paired together for a decent stretch there, I believe they had a pretty damn good run. <clears throat> yeah, you right. Uh
2: right. When when was that going back to? Anyway, carry on while I remember a date. It doesn't matter. Uh,
0: but I I I just look at him and I think it's he is not so mentally you know far gone that this cannot improve. <clears throat> We've seen the brilliant footballer in there, and he's actually quite good with his distribution. I remember him having something like a ninety six percent pass completed like that's decent for a center back. If you're trying to build out of the back as a Pep Guardiola team does, I prefer to have my center backs passing at around a 96% clip. Um, But I do, I do take your point about, you know, with Denayer coming back, even though I think that they should just take advantage of what Galatasaray really were, were sort of forced to do. And and use Denayer to fit in where Laporte would have probably most likely played, which is as as a fullback.
2: Yeah, I think the talk with Denier was was as a right back. But, um, I think, there, but then the talk about Laporte was left. So uh, the fullback situation is certainly an interesting one. But and it's interesting because there's still no real talk yet about what's going to happen yeah. on, the, on the Bruno, left uh... yeah Bruno Perez for the right back role at Torino in terms of the left uh, uh, maybe he's, he's going to look at Angelino and give Angelino the chance
0: or even worse he's going to nip that Kolarov deal at the 11th hour <laughs> and Man City fans are going to be stuck with him
2: well maybe Kolarov was in training today I know a lot of people are saying oh he wasn't there yesterday but he's there today so, maybe. <laughs> no, I, I doubt it. I doubt it.
0: Um. So, well, uh, Graham, what do I, you got?
3: Yeah, yeah, well, we've spent two episodes basically debating outgoings because mm. you we hear, you know, you hear one thing from, say, the Italian press and you hear another thing from the English press. So, I mean, you and uh, Goal have reported Navas is safe, Sanya is safe, I believe Fernando is safe, so who's less than safe? I mean, Kolarov, I think, obviously, and I don't know how reliable the Turkish press reports are, but apparently he's closing in on Besiktas, which, you know, fine by me, but, um, you know, in particular, we've been trying to figure out what's going to happen to Yaya Toure because you hear one thing and one other thing. So, and another name that seems to be oddly, you know, possibly on the chopping block is Samir Nasri. So who are we looking at as being less than safe at this point? Or do we even know yet? Do they even know yet? I mean, I'm sure they know. Um,
2: Well, Bonnie is less than safe. You know, Bonnie is... Wilfred Burney is gonna go somewhere. You would expect him. He was implied. Be a man. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you no, know, I'm just, I'm just trying to look down that list now to see if there's anyone else that he mentioned, he the didn't mention. Um, they got Caballero. I saw, I saw a report the other day. I think it was a Manchester Evening News that you know, if City do sign a the keeper, then that'll just be to fill Richard Wright's shoes, but doesn't seem to make much sense because if you're going to keep three keepers around, one of which is never going to play, um, you got to try and work out whether someone like Angus Gunn would be better off doing that or going out on loan. Um, so then, But then that brings you back to Caballero and is there any point in in keeping him around then if he's going to be third choice and play even less than he did last season? That doesn't seem like something that would appeal to him. Um yeah you, you mentioned Nasri and that kind of flared up again at the end of last season because he when he came back and he scored the winner against uh, West Brom he gave a lengthy interview really good interview about how you know he he can't wait for for next season he can't wait to work with Guardiola and Guardiola's going to be lucky to have him because you know he'll do whatever he wants basically but then he didn't play later in the season wasn't even in the squad and Pellegrini kind of danced around the issue before finally going oh yeah he was injured but you know, that was just like the fifth time of asking You know why? Why didn't he play? And then there were a few rumors there that he's actually been told. You know, City obviously do a lot of their transfer incomings early, and with the outgoings as well. They, you know, they're going to let the players know. And the the rumors at the time when Nasri has already been told. Uh, I, you you say it wouldn't make too much sense if he got sold. Uh, I, I could see it. I could see it happening. You've got people like. You know, youngsters like Chilina, who could play the wide role, or you've got people like Manu Garcia, who could play the central role.
0: But um, do any of them have the ball retention skill of Samir Nasri, which is so critical in a Guardiola game plan? This is why I think Samir Nasri should stay, is that he offers a lot of what Ribery does, and especially in terms of his ability to keep the ball. I think probably more than Silva he might be like, I would sell Silva and keep Nazri, And I know that there are people who would turn off this podcast after hearing that phrase. But I think the best years of Spanish Dave are behind him in a lot of these injuries because he seems very disinterested in taking the requisite time off to heal. Like he just doesn't seem to care about it. So I'm not sure he's going to get better. And in that sense, I think Nazri, even at a European level, tends to play better.
2: Yeah, I think Nazri's definitely got the potential in the coming years to play better than Silver. I think the thing with Guardiola is it's just it's the full package side of it, isn't it? And may maybe there's a there's a mentality thing there that, that he's seeing he doesn't like, and I think that is that's allegedly been the case with a couple of others. Um, but Nasri is it, is... it is a difficult one because a lot of the reports, again, seem to be that it's either going to be him or Torre, and it's, which obviously points to the fact that a decision hasn't yet been made one way or the other on either of them. Um, and with Torre, Torre is one that I've generally tried to steer clear of because... Not only, you know, you mentioned the Italian press saying one thing in there, the English press saying another. I'm not even sure if Yaya Torre's own entourage, his own people, if they know. Because you've got Seluk, you know, the loudmouth agent who's always saying he wants to go. I think Torre would be happy to stay. I think there's other people in his camp, other agents who would be happy for him to stay, obviously because it's very lucrative for them, even without, you know, getting a, a signing on fee from elsewhere. It's just it's a bit of a mess that situation. And I'm from a journalistic point of view, I'm looking forward to that being resolved one way or the other. Either him well by one way or the other I mean if it's gonna be soon, it would have to be him leaving. Because if he were to say I'm staying at the club this week, you still wouldn't believe it until the transfer were closed because that's just how it's been. So with those two I don't know. It, it appears but, from the But outside, Dimitri the has been, been
0: oddly made. quiet, which has me thinking that, like, I'm quite wondering if Yaya didn't tell him, like, hey, dude, shut the up right now, man. I'm trying to stay, and I don't need you screwing this up because this is, like, it right now well be, yeah. is prime time for Seluk to run his mouth. Like, let's just yeah. be real about that. And he's not. He's oddly quiet.
2: Yeah, but then I think I think there's this Chinese offer looming, isn't there? I think there's a Chinese offer you looming for someone
0: you want to go. And if you don't want to go, it's sort of a non-starter. It
2: is but the way, you know, the the way the agents are and the way that his agent is, it he might be persuaded into doing it even if it's just for a year because I don't expect any of the players who have gone in the last year or so to do it. For so long, I know it's a slightly different era, but Marcel Desailly, when he was finishing, you know, he he didn't want to go to Qatar, but he, you know, he said, "Look, if I go to Qatar for one season, then that's it. We're, we're set up for life." And you know, Torres set up for life anyway. But the money he could he could earn in China would trump more than he could earn anywhere else. It's Iowa. obviously I think he'd be holding out for Inter, but again. With the Italian market, you never quite know. And it looks like they're looking at, you know, Gabriel Jesus now and and other targets. And and this is the thing with Torre. There's just so many different parts to this. I haven't nailed my clothes to the mast either way because it's as far as I'm concerned, it's impossible to know for sure. And I think to a lesser extent, that's that's the same for for Nasri as well.
3: Right. And, you know, I think what we, we talked about, you know, the wages making it a difficult transfer. The fact there's only one year left on his contract. Um, so, you know,
0: I thought Mark Cotty brought up something super interesting too. And he really, I mean, he did such a delicate dance around it and it's, and it's obvious why he did. Um, and, and I'm in no way, you know, talking down on it, but I, it was such a fascinating point. And, and it was on the podcast with a where he basically somewhat inferred that if you look at the way that the Chinese government is run and this is again no like I have no judgment on this whatsoever this is just a business fact that a lot of these business owners have very very strong government ties and if the government uh, were to say lean on on one of these clubs to to pay an outrageous sum uh, for someone like Toure because you had to wonder wh- what club is going to be able to afford his books. And and you mentioned Inter. Well, the whole thing that's been blocking that are the wages because Toure ain't taking a pay cut. It, you know, he, he seems not interested in taking less money. So that's on Inter to figure out. And like you said, there's just no way to know if that's possible. But these Chinese clubs could obviously afford that and then some. And I'm and I'm just curious as to whether or not eventually one of these clubs, like you said, could come across with so much money that past a certain point, Yaya would almost be foolish not to take the offer for, for one year. Yeah, and I
2: think... I can't remember the guy's name, but there's some kind of representative. I'm sure you've seen it yourself, who works on behalf of 12 Chinese clubs, and they're saying you know they're weighing up an offer for a big name at City. And while I wouldn't be surprised if they talk get aguero, aguero which Agüero isn't going to happen. It's you know you'd think Torre is still a big enough name, um, a, a big enough brand um, to to do that. And if he's working on behalf of 12 clubs, then you know you just you go for the richest one, and they'll. But the money they're spending over there, it could easily be done, and you know, they're gonna—you know—they're gonna try and tempt Rooney as well. So, if they can afford Rooney, they can afford Torrey.
0: Well, let's switch this thing over. Well, actually, I to ask one last uh, transfer. Do you have one last transfer question, uh, Gray?
3: Or I you- was just going to run. Now that we've done outgoings, I mean, just operating under the assumption that Stones and Sane are going to join. You know, they talk about you know five signings or so. Should we expect anything else after that? Anything big? Is it a pipe dream to sign another midfielder? I know right now our 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 shared Tony Kroos pipe dream seems to be just that. But um, you know, should we be looking at anything else further than that?
2: Yeah, well, it's always been my theory that you know City would spend big on a couple of players and that would be, um, you know, that would be Sané and Stokes among them. But then the rest would be, you know, as much as City have always said it would be four or five players, I do kind of think they would supplement that with people like Nolito and seemingly now Bruno Perez who are going to cost a lot less than £20 million which is nothing to City and nothing in the way the market's going in the Premier League at the moment. You know, if you can get good players that Guardiola identified for less than £20 million, pounds, then you're doing very well. And I don't think that's really going to take too much out of the budget. So then it comes back to another midfield player, which is where you would say that, yes, they do need one, but then if Fernando's going to stay, and you know Fernandinho's going to as well, and then if De Bruyne ends up playing this central midfield, central striker mashup role that I seem to have invented earlier on, then that's an option there, and obviously you've got Gundogan as well. So maybe not. But the, the interesting thing with Cruz is, you know, his name surfaced back in start of March when basically City's transfer targets became known, and those were Laporte, Stones, and obviously Laporte said no, and Stones is probably going to happen, uh, Gundogan, which has already happened, and then Cruz and Pogba, and then last month. Cruz and Pogba kind of fell away. It were kind of the indications were that neither of them were in the running any longer. But in the last couple of days, Cruz seems to have been put back on the table. But my suspicion about them is that depends on Pogba. And if Pogba goes to Real Madrid, then maybe Cruz would be freed up then. But what I would say is well, and I've said it before on Twitter, every time Cruz says about his future Real Madrid, every time he's asked about his future, he genuinely does sound like not only does he not want to leave, but it would be an affront to his to his career basically. Like it would upset him as not yeah. good enough.
0: Yeah, it feels like it would Sorry. almost piss him off. Like upset yeah, him. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah I've yeah. gotten that same sense.
2: Yeah, it's it it really does seem like he's he's got no interest whatsoever in leaving Real Madrid. So, you would think if there's any chance whatsoever of him going then, you know, he's probably more likely than not to go to City. But as ever with these transfers, and obviously he's still involved at the Euros as well, and so is Pogba, we're just going to have to wait and see how it plays out. Um, I think it's, it's a little more realistic than a pipe dream at the moment, but it's pretty unlikely just because of the the moving parts involved, um, but just to just to try and bring this back into the outgoings as well. If you'd have asked me this a couple of months ago, I'd have I'd have had a long list, and I mean people like Nass and Fernando would probably have been on it as well. But you look at the squad now, and you think, knowing what we know now, would these guys stay in? The squad's not going to change too much, but it's going to be next summer when these guys. Start being sold off. And I wouldn't be surprised at the risk of sparking another half hour debate. I wouldn't be surprised if Company Hearts and Silver were part of the next phase of players 12 months down the line.
0: There's not going to gonna be really much debate from us on this podcast. Like, straight out, we have already said that all that all three of those people would be okay with us down the line. We've mentioned that they've all been great servants of city, but individually, you could find logical reasons why each one of them should and maybe could be moved on. Yeah. at, at some I just point, don't think it's going to happen
3: now because there's too much of people. Right. Sorry, carry on, Greg. At, at, at some point, there has to be a transition to you know a younger core of players which is why you know sterling de bruyne exist at the club right now and at some point that's just the older guard will be phased out that's just a fact of life and um i i will say there was i found the uh, the renewed wave of tiago links this week to be a bit interesting too which i found i don't know where those came from if it's the club or someone else but we keep here every they keep ruling out midfielders it seems like and they keep coming back so I found that interesting
0: it sounds like Bayern don't want Tiago, is what it is it sounds like Tiago never yeah. wanted to leave and then Bayern are like so dude uh you want to go join Pep like that's the general vibe I pick up am I off base on that
2: no I get the idea that Bayern are would kind of be happy to draw the line under Guardiola. And maybe, you know, they've been quite petty about Guardiola and their comments about him at times. Obviously, um, is it Rummenigge now who's back on the scene and they get on well, but I don't think all of them have done. Um, or is it Huna? It's Hunez, sorry, who gets on well with Guardiola and Rummenigge less so. But I wouldn't be surprised if, quite petulantly, if they were to be like, look, let's draw a line under this Guardiola and Thiago, look, you were the one he wanted you, you're the you're the passing one that we don't like. Renato Sanchez is going to play in midfield and he's going to tear it up. he's going to run through everyone and win us the champions league and If you want to go and be part of the Guardia era or the era of somebody else anywhere else, just go for it so I wouldn't be surprised actually. I forgot to mention that because I think that was when I was flying back from the states last week and then I had a couple of days in a in a haze where all city talk kind of existed in a bubble outside outside my Bedroom and all, so for that reason, we yeah, had when we were talking about cruising the park team, Tiago is probably as, as much of a, a stumbling block there because if he is available, then absolutely, it, 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 it's just it really is a case of putting two and two to get, together and getting four because Guardiola loves him. And if he wants to put somebody on the training ground, which he's not gonna be able to do with Gundogan because he's injured, and say, Look, lads, do this then there's no one better than Tiago. And if they can do
0: it... It's a cheaper alternative than Kroos, too. And and I would be fine with Tiago. With I know a lot of people feel like it would be a lame duck. But uh, look, man, uh, in American sports, it happens all the time that a player will follow a coach to, to several different destinations. They just get on well uh even in baseball gray you know this pitchers and catchers you know they'll they'll, they'll follow each other uh, uh and and it it just doesn't bother me like it bothers a lot of other people i i think that tiago is an extraordinarily competent midfielder and as you said he knows guardiola's demands inside and out i don't see how you can go wrong signing him
3: i wanted him yeah. when he went to bayern And I mean, obviously, no one else really had a shot because he was always going to follow Guardiola. But I, you know, obviously, I would absolutely have no complaints over that. Um, So, Josh, I don't know if you had anything else on transfer.
0: No, I just Um, wanted to ask these two general listener questions and then we'll close out the talk with some Sterling. Um, So our first listener wanted to know, uh, and it kind of falls back on the center back discussion. So you, you don't have to go too in depth on it, but. How healthy do you expect the center back situation to play out? This is from my buddy Ron, who actually helped get me into Manchester City. Company can't stay healthy. Otamendi Mangala inconsistent. Uh, Denair seems ready and Stone comes in. You can't keep five happy. Can we just summarize that as saying that Mangala is, is going to be the one who's gone? And while you answer, I'm going to step away for a quick moment. I'll be right back.
2: Yeah, I think we can summarise that that Mangala is 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 gonna be the one to go, you know, rightly or wrongly as we've already discussed. I don't think it's I don't think it's a very healthy situation Now, I think you've got you know, like I say, with this with the politics surrounding it and, you know, keeping company maybe if they don't wanna. Uh keeping on to Mendy, maybe if they don't wanna. You've got Denier, who everyone was kind of big on based on the fact that he was doing a right at Galatasaray before he got injured, but then the way he played against Wales the other night, he was a shocker, and everyone's kind of thinking, well, is, is he going to be a great option for next season, even you know, even if he can provide the fact that he can play right back as well? I, I don't think it's too healthy, and the fact that City did want Laporte as well, and obviously because they could have played him at left back there was a factor in that, but because City did want to expensive, young, ball-playing centre-backs, and it looks like they're only going to get one now, plus the fact that you've got centre-backs there who are maybe less than ideal, it's going to be a bit of a halfway house for a year. And if it was possible to ship out eight or nine players in one summer, bring in eight or nine, and expect everything to go well, then I'm sure that's what they would do. But I think they're going to get by as best as they can do next season as best as possible and then you know ship out the rest of the guys who ideally in an ideal world they probably got rid of now and i think that doesn't apply to any area more so than the defense cool
0: i am back and the the second or the last question from our listener is he would love your opinion, and this actually allows for a perfect segue into our final topic, is he would love your opinion on how Pep will help Sterling reach his potential and where you think Pep may end up playing him, which we dabbled on a little earlier in our left-versus-right discussion, uh, but where, how, how much do you think Pep's influence can steady Raheem's nerves well,
2: i think he's probably one of the best coaches possible um because in terms of motivation you know you think the big ones are a conte and Simeone, aside from guardiola but there's a lot more a lot more you know defensive side of it and, and by defensive i mean kind of more tracking back and and deep lying kind of thing. Obviously, with Guardiola, it's more a positional thing and where you stand when you've got the ball away and where you, and where, you, where you haven't got it. I, I'm I must admit I'm not really convinced about Sterling, and I've thought this for a few months now. And yes, you know there have been problems with Brendan Rodgers' coaching styles and Hodgson's and Pellegrini's and you know I'm not necessarily a big fan of all three but then for somebody like Sterling he must be in a privileged position where you can say oh well you know he wasn't learning anything under his other coaches he needs to work with Guardiola because how many footballers will actually get the opportunity to work with Guardiola it's it's a pretty limited pool Um, and that's the same thing for Mangala too you know if we're saying Mangala needs the best coach in the world to get the best out of him then you know he's, he's very fortunate that he's going to get the chance to play point with
0: well taken point well taken <laughs>
2: um sterling is such a difficult one because it it doesn't seem like the mentality is right because in terms of you know well he's admitted it himself hasn't he and i, I you know i don't mean he doesn't want to be a footballer but you know he's got he's got the confidence issues um and you've said yourself you know the way he takes a long time on the ball and there's and the the decision making um He's, you know, he said he's he's seeing the psychologist during the Euros to, to get help with that. Um, Guardiola is certainly one of the best people to do it. But as he said himself, going back to the Noel Gallagher interview at the start, you know, he said he's he effectively said, you know, I can't work miracles. You know, if if the player hasn't got it, then I I can't make them have it. You know, if if they haven't got the desire and they haven't got the ability, then. I'm not going to be able to find it, and I think that applies to Raheem Sterling as much as anybody else. Now, I think Guardiola was probably involved to some extent last year when they actually signed him. So I don't think City have signed him, and then a year down the line, Guardiola goes, "I wish they hadn't have done that." So I think I think Guardiola is probably quite confident that he can get the best out of him. I'm not I'm not quite convinced. I'm you know I'm absolutely confident that he's going to make Kevin De Bruyne. A one of the best players in the world, and maybe that is is easier to say because we're going on the hindsight of De Bruyne had a great season for City and Sterling didn't. But I'm, I'm just not I'm just not really I'm just not really convinced by Sterling. It, it's just the whole package. Even when 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 he did play well at the start of the season it was part of a a big system, so he's got that going for him. That was when, you know, even Kolarov, as much as he's disliked now, Kolarov had a, a great start to the season, and those two worked really well in tandem, as did Sanya and Navas on the other side, and everything just seemed to be clicking for City at that point. So if it is, you know, all down to coming into the system and working together and tying into the tactics of the team, then perhaps Sterling has already shown that he can do that, and, the good thing about him seeing a psychologist is he knows what he needs to do. And if Guardiola tells him as well, then he's obviously going to be willing to take that on board. So, you know, everything is there for him to do it. He's not like some kind of some kind of tear-away footballer that we hear about all the time, who had all the talent in the world, but, you know, let it go to waste. I think he, he does want to learn. It's just at the end of the day, it's just whether he's actually, actually capable of doing it. And, I mean, that is what we're going to find out. And the way I'm leaning at the moment is I'm not convinced it, it will work out. But what I will admit is he's certainly got a great chance. You know, if, if it if it doesn't work for him at City, I don't think it's going to work for him anyway because there's not many opportunities to work with a coach like Guardiola. And in terms of the motivation side, but without having to go the other way, like like someone like Simeone or Conte, as much as, you know, I'm not saying they play bad defensive football, although... You know, Atletico aren't, aren't much fun to watch, but we've seen you know Antoine Griezmann really flourish oh, and like that. Cocky too to
0: watch Atletico,
2: <laughs> but yeah, I think working with Guardiola is ideal for for Sterling, and I think now we'll really see what he's made of. I, I can't give you an answer either way because you know I kind of think that it's it's not going to work out. I just kind of think it's not going to work out for him. But with Nolito there as well, you know, he's got somebody to learn from you know, he's got the practical example of what he needs to do as well as Guardiola telling him. So we'll soon see. And I suppose one of the good things about him playing so badly for England and England getting knocked out is that they will join up and be able to go to China and he'll be able to learn quicker than the French and the Belgian lads. <laughs> I suppose that's one upside of this of this bad summer for him.
0: You know, and that's totally fair. I, I mean, <clears throat> i am not necessarily, I don't think, sterling is as bad as people have made him out to be and i don't think he's as good as people mm. have made him out yeah, to be exactly. y- you know um but i do want to get into to a little bit for our for our final to- topic of discussion here is sort of just this thing that's gone on in the media uh gray I know you were sort of really passionate about this. I'll, I'll, do, why don't you take the lead on this one and, and we can just kind of snake in questions.
3: Well, I think the the fact of the matter is that for a lot of people, Sterling has come to represent everything wrong with the modern footballer for whatever reason. I mean, we know some of the reasons, Um a rather unsavory transfer saga, which was, as we've said, more 80 wards doing than his. And, you know, just a kid who people talked for him and then he tried to do damage control and made it worse. But I think another, you know, and England's failing has not made that any better, obviously, but still, I don't think there's any debate that Sterling has been pulled out for criticism, rather unfairly singled out in a tournament where no one played well for England. I mean, if I'm not going to try to like, well, he was bad and he was bad and he was bad, but you know, Harry Kane was completely anonymous. I mean, he did. I would argue he did contributed less than sterling over the course of the euros. Um, and then they you know Rooney the captain has was, you know often in, particularly in the Iceland game, struggling to pick out a pass. And you know then you've got he goes on holiday to the Mediterranean, which again, fine, he's on holiday. I have no problem with that whatsoever. And it's just like, well, look at Wayne Rooney having fun. And then Raheem Sterling buys a house for his mother and he has a swanky sink. And I know that this is the British tabloids at work and this is the English tabloids and this is how they work. But I just feel and I think a lot of people feel that because Sterling has become the caricature of the spoiled, rotten modern footballer. Please don't
0: forget that piece of trash Article in The Sun about a drug dealer who supposedly wanted to be rich like the Premier League stars, even though he was never quoted as saying that. The author just made up that fun conclusion and then used Raheem Sterling's photo as the centerpiece for that literary piece
3: of crap. Right. And, you know, I think. Again, it's he has become the poster child for the stereotype of the spoiled, rotten, you know, footballer who's making 100 times more money than he deserves or whatever. And, you know, I, I, I just your thought, your thoughts in general, everyone on, you know. This sort of crusade, and the, even the media is starting to backlash. I've started to see some pieces on we're being completely over the top here, and it's like, well, that's not new, but it's nice of you to notice, I suppose.
2: Yeah, it's. I mean, I think, I think the topic we're all bordering on here, and maybe I'd have maybe I'd have picked up on this even if I hadn't seen the the running order. I think the topic we're all kind of dancing around. Is the racism angle. Um, that Sun story you mentioned uh, uh, about the, the drug dealer using Sterling's face is just, I mean, that was mental. I mean, that, that was mentioned in this article that I read. Maybe you've read it too on, I think it was Joe, joe.co.uk, um, about the racist Was that you know, the, the
0: Carl article, that one? Yeah. Yeah, that was fa- that was fantastic, absolutely fantastic piece.
2: Yeah, um, but I mean, I mean that, I mean that choice of pictures, just mental. I mean, I, I remember at university, it's going as far back as that, and you know, like law law modules that you know just don't use those kind of pictures for these stories because you're going to get sued. Um, God knows who who was in charge with that, but then to look. But then to go back to the reasoning and you know the racism. I mean, I've got nothing. To, I've got nothing to add to what you've both said about um, about Sterling and and the um, the reaction to his performances at the Euros because mainly you know it it fell between the two. You know he wasn't he wasn't as bad as people were making out. But then City fans went way too far the other directions. You know with the blame Raheem. You know mock stuff. But it was at the end of the day. Come on, you've, you've got to hold your hands up and say that you know Sterling did have a poor tournament. Again, as you said, so did everybody else. Um, but in terms of the racism stuff, it's certainly it's certainly a theory among a lot of people. It it's difficult. It's difficult for me to. I thought it'd be only fair to bring that up um, because you know it, it's part of the argument. But in terms of my direct contribution to that, um, it's difficult, of course, because not
0: only am i it's it, there are man, different laws in your country I, so i do apologize yeah. for putting you in that position we're not trying to get you to say yeah it's racist just i'm just curious more to your thought i think gray was is if is if you think that there is a noticeable difference because like you look at wayne rooney he mentioned gray did that ibiza uh, party tweet like there was an article written about deli ali who was was headed to ibiza and they're like oh ali going to ibiza right after england dumped by iceland showing he cares more about partying than country Mm. or something like that and then wayne rooney posts a picture of you know the wife and the kids on a plane on instagram says like on my way to ibiza and and it's like uh rooney and family go on getaway after you know tough euros and mm. it's like really well like,
2: rooney i think another side to that which people may not appreciate in terms of uh the gray area is rooney's very friendly with the press and he will sit down and have lunch with a lot of members of the press um and the young guys which goes on yeah, and I, I mean Sterling hardly ever does interviews, um, and I can't blame him because you know we're in the most part we're these white middle aged guys. I'm not middle aged yet, but I'm certainly white. Um, on the other side of this barrier, after a City game, going Raheem, Raheem, and he just must look up and go, "Well, you absolutely crucified me last summer over the the Liverpool move." I don't don't really wanna do it. And you know, some footballers don't wanna don't wanna to talk to the press anyway. They don't they don't see why they have to, and I completely understand that as well. Um So, you know, if Sterling doesn't talk to the press, then it, it's kind of easier, and I suppose it maybe it's human nature, maybe it's better human nature, but human nature all the same. Where some journalists might go, Well, if you're not gonna you know, you're not gonna be on our side, you're not gonna play the game, then then you are fair game. Whereas somebody like Rooney who will sit down and speak to the press and Give them a a good version of events, or at least an entertaining version of events that they can print the next day. Um, they will always tend to get away with it a bit more. Um, but yeah, and then, but then going on to the other, you know, the issue of of colour and the, the the players who who get singled out. You know, I, I don't I don't want it to come down and argue that it's not racism be, because you know there's you know there's an argument that certainly you know in, in my business. In the UK, there aren't very many black journalists, and that's one thing that was mentioned in this article that we've, we've all read about Sterling. And there's also the school of thought that, you know, white people in the UK benefit, and I'm, I'm sure it's the same in the US, you know, they, whether they want to or not, they've got no saying in this, but they benefit from a racist society where, you know, white people get jobs and black people don't. So it's, I don't want to come on to this and say, well, Rooney gets preferential treatment from the press because he speaks to the newspapers. And I don't want to say, well, look, Jack Wilshire gets criticized when he's caught smoking in Las Vegas, just the same as anyone else would. Um, it's it's, it's all such all a of difficult them work, issue. Right?
0: All of them work externally, if if I may. Like it, it Like, I understand completely what you're saying because – Rooney's situation, even though it feels like it's directly tied, like you look at uh, Deli Ali going to Ibiza and Rooney going to Ibiza, while they look like they're both being treated unfairly and on the surface you could point to race you you do mention that Rooney has been so giving with the press that goes a long way with the press when when you have an athlete that's always really really nice to you always willing to lend you a quote always willing to sit down with you it shouldn't it absolutely shouldn't but it always does even in my case like you always have a small spot of affection for that player just because they've been so gracious with you. They're keeping it 100, so you tend to overlook some of the small stuff. And it's it's not necessarily because Rooney's white, I mean, it's just because in in many instances he is so friendly with the press and that's going to buy you some goodwill. And so everything seems like it's linked, but there are just so many different circumstances surrounding each individual event that trying to lump them all into one thing probably does a disservice to not just racism, but the individual discussions surrounding some of the problems with British media coverage.
2: Yeah, I mean that. Obviously, as with anything, you know, there there are there are grey areas, and it's such it's such a difficult debate that I don't think it's it's one of those debates where grey areas don't tend to to win out. I mean, even and it's it's difficult it's difficult to put up one side of it. Certainly, it's it's impossible to say one way or the other whether whether it's definitely not racist or it definitely is but i you know i don't have that newsroom experience either where you know newsrooms are can be a pretty dark depressing place and you know i wouldn't be surprised if even if it was subconsciously a decision of an editor somewhere to really put the boot into somebody because of their background but it's it's certainly it's certainly impossible for for me to say um but i think we can all agree at least maybe if we're going to try and bring this around to a conclusion And get away from the difficult, the the hardest talking point. I think we can all agree, whatever the reasons, that it's been mad. You know, for for, for it to be on the front page, that obscene Raheem thing, it it, it just at no point did it deserve to be on the front page. Just mad, crazy.
0: I you know the last thing that I'm curious about with Raheem and I and I've I've not really ever heard it mentioned. And then Gray, you could you can close it out, ask some of your questions. Uh, <clears throat> so you look last year about <clears throat> how the transfer of Raheem went down. Now I know that Milner left on a free, and so the, at some point that y- you have to look at that and say it's a bit different, but. The, 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 the thing with Raheem is that they'd both been at the club for five years. Manchester City had gone to extraordinarily, extraordinary lengths, as I understand it, to try and keep Milner there. Um, if it, And every time they brought a new contract, if it wasn't one thing, it was another. And, and it just it always felt to me like Milner was headed toward testing the, the, the free agent market and basically signing whichever deal suited him the best, which always seemed like it was going to be Liverpool. But he'd been there for five years, had been integral the city's revamping plan, and he sort of left without incident which is the same amount of time that Raheem had been at Liverpool. He was never a Liverpool youth. He was a QPR youth. And yet, <clears throat> like, Raheem was this huge snake, and, and Lovren and uh, 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 Milner were these fantastic people who who, you know, obviously saw the rich storied history of Liverpool. Like that That always baffled me, like how Milner sort of escaped that criticism in the press when really he it it felt in and, and please correct me if I'm wrong, <clears throat> that he was tr- making cities' job and negotiations harder every single time they came to him,
2: yeah. um i think I think the point's been made in isolation, pretty much as you've used it there in terms of. Well, Milner was actually a bit of a, a dick in negotiations, it seems, and kind of, you know, made, made things difficult for a long time. But that didn't really get picked up on. But that, that comes down to the fact that, um, you know, he's got this reputation as being boring. Whether that's true or not is kind of besides the point because he doesn't sell newspapers. But Raheem Sterling does, um, and not least because, you know, Milner went for free. Um Sterling was always going to go for about, you know, at least 40 million, 50 million. So that was always going to be bigger news. Uh, and also because Liverpool are better for headlines than Manchester City. Um, there are newspapers that can take advantage of the fact that the sun doesn't get red in Merseyside. So they can they can talk more about Liverpool and maybe they can pander more to Liverpool fans to sell more newspapers. And also the fact that Liverpool fans are a lot more rabid than City fans. Um, you know, if 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 some Liverpool player dares to leave the fantastic club that Liverpool is, the fans will not let that go. And you know, we saw what they were like in the last game of the season at Stoke when they just completely turned against him. City fans probably wouldn't do that. Milner's, I mean, while Milner is quite, you know, it's the same case, it wasn't quite such a, it wasn't blown out of proportion, was it? But I just can't see City fans going quite quite as mad about it I, in general as, as Liverpool fans, because Liverpool fans are, to be quite honest, and hopefully not too many listening to this, they are a different breed, really. And I, I think, again, it was just the perfect storm that contributed to it of it was, you know, it was a good, it was a good story to do, and also the fact that he went rogue and he did this BBC interview. Uh, go back to the media and give a little insight to the media. You know, everybody, every journalist who works on that Liverpool patch, they're all very, everyone's very close. Everyone kind of has the same information and has the same sources. Um, and if one it's person gets no straight, different over here, it. No different. Yeah, okay. over here. Well, you understand how it goes, but I don't. But that's not necessarily the same anywhere else. So then. Once Sterling goes rogue, then you've got one element to the story, which is exciting—that he's done this behind Liverpool's back, and Liverpool aren't happy. Um, and also, it's very visible—he's done it with the BBC, and he's on—he's on camera too. So you know that footage can go wherever. Um, but then you've also got a pack of Liverpool journalists, and you know I, I use—you know—we say you know, the you know the, the press pack. You know that's that's not a derogatory term for them, um, but they've—we've then got a pack of Liverpool journalists who can put out Liverpool's side of the story and if Liverpool and their press team feel that they've been slighted by the agent then you know they're going to want to get one back on the agent and put out their version of events which may not make Sterling or the agent look too good and then all of a sudden you've got a uh, club versus player row which the fans are obviously going to side with the club and the media are going to love it because you've got you know, two sides tearing each other apart, and you've got a headline making superstar in the middle of it, it's going to cost 50 million pounds. And then you've got Man City as well, who the media need no excuse before they bring up how much money City you've got. It's basically the first thing people talk about. Obviously, I'm sure you've talked about it before when it comes to City, they talk about the money. So now you've got this perfect storm of club versus player fans involved, players maybe pushing it on Merseyside, sorry, papers pushing it on Merseyside so they can sell more papers. You've got City in there who are going to spend the money. City who kept quiet this whole time. City didn't want to add oil to the fire. They let Liverpool run away with the narrative. Basically, Liverpool set the agenda here because their journalists, or the journalists who work closely with them, could put out their version of events. City didn't contest it. Ailey Ward made a very bad job of contesting it. So then you had somebody who looked... Very much like the villain, because nobody was doing a good job of sticking up for him, and that is pretty much you know that's the perfect reason why, think it why so he big. did
0: the BBC interview. Truth be told, like yeah. I, I said on a podcast that Raheem, as young as he is, he felt like an athlete to to me. Who felt like his own story had gotten so far away from him that he wanted to circle it back and try to get people to understand, okay, wait, you know, this isn't me. Like, all this crap that's going on, like, this isn't me. I want you guys to know me. And... Instead of it coming across that way, people are like, oh, look at this dick. He's, you know, setting up BBC interviews, thinks he's so important, yada, yada, yada. And it, it's totally couldn't have been further from the truth. And obviously I know that we sound a bit biased here, but I'm using, I'm drawing on my experience of interviewing athletes from the age of like, you know, 16 on up. This process is, is pretty much the same. No matter where you go, the, these young men feel like their own story gets so twisted in the press that they don't even recognize who they are in the public eye.
2: Yeah. um, I I wouldn't be surprised if that was the case at all. I can't really. No, I've interviewed plenty of footballers, as you have too. But it's it's impossible for me to imagine how how that must be to deal with. Um, And, yeah, you (coughs) – excuse me. I can certainly imagine, you know, it's happened – sure it's happened to all of us in the past where we've done something to think, you know, this will, you know, in a difficult situation we think this will go some way to fixing that. And that's probably what was behind the BBC interview when he thought, yeah, this is, this is what I'll do to try and fix it. But, you know, he's young and inexperienced and maybe didn't appreciate how the media work. And that goes back to the fact that, you know, why he doesn't want to talk to the media and play the media game because, you know, he's seen what it's done and, Nobody really stuck up for him apart from himself and his agent and the, but then that only made things worse in the media so I think I think you're probably right there.
1: How involved are you going to get with the academy side uh not so much the first team but the younger players?
4: I grew up from the maybe the last 20 the best academy in the world in Barcelona so and when I arrived in the first team, I knew most of the players for Busquets, for example or Pedro or another players and I think when the talent is the talent, you have the quality, and you have the same enough passion to to become something in the world of football. With uh, if they show me if they show me something, but they will, you, will be my hands. It you, depends on the quality of the players, so you cannot create something. i mean, I'm okay, good trainer, but not good enough when the for the players they don't have quality to convince them to to play. It depends on their quality. And I but would you
1: like to see it with your own eyes, or will you be relying on your? team to kind of look at these young players and and kind of see what the academy is going to produce or will you know would you be going to check first out of the all team? i have
4: to know them and first of all in the pre-season all the big talents in the team is going to join us in the pre-season all of them and after they have to show me how good they are and after my intuition my okay he's even on the table and maybe Sometimes I will be right. Maybe I will be. Mis- we can make a mistake. But uh, it depends on them. So I'm not a genius to come here to say, oh, you are not good, and now you are good. No, it depends on the quality. But the people told me the Academy of Manchester City in comparison to uh, other places, they had a very, very good talent. Uh,
0: Gray, what do you got for us to bring us on home?
3: Um, I don't really have anything to add to that. I think we've we've covered... Most of it. And as I mentioned on a previous um, podcast, this for all the, you know, salacious press and the fact that it made a great story, it was basically someone who got a better job offer and decided to take it. And, you know, I know it's never going to be that simple, but when you break it down to the heart of it, that's what happened. And it became a circus, an undue circus, I think. But, you know, I think that covers everything we wanted to cover, unless you had something else. You
0: know, Sam's basically been a, uh, a fountain of information. Truthfully, I just met, planned to have him on for a little, but he was so dang knowledgeable <laughs> that before I knew it, the, the, the whole damn podcast had been recorded with him. And I'm just like, crap, we got to let this guy go.
2: <laughs> yeah, sorry. I, I suppose I i can't tend to talk and even when i think no you're it short but no you're not, not so meant as a bad thing yeah
0: that's that's not meant as a bad i was chastising no 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 i know i kept you
2: oh no it's all right I'm,
0: I'm, i could listen to I'm you for hours i mean you you this was fascinating insight and i and that's not just lip service you know there's there's only so much that that we're able to to understand those of us who you know we 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 can read the british press obviously because the internet is is ubiquitous but we we don't really understand unless you've lived there or spent a significant amount of time there uh we don't really understand the 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 inner workings and so Getting getting to hear it from you, getting some misconceptions cleared up, seeing if what we're measuring uh, uh, is accurate is is always a, a pleasurable experience. So, I mean, you could you can be as lengthy and thorough as you want like, to be frank. Like, hey, you this was by far my favorite episode that we've done. We've only done three, but this was the best damn one of the three.
2: Oh, good. Thanks very much. And I know exactly what you mean. mean, Regarding the Sterling stuff, it was hard for me to compute it all. But, you know, when I was in the States, looking back at the UK and seeing what was going on, because, you know, you you see what's going on on Twitter and you see a few articles linked. But unless you're here and unless, unless, you know, you turn on the radio when you're in the car and you hear some of the stuff being said or you hear some of the throwaway comments from people down the pub or even on TV when they're doing the France game the next day, but then they go back and talk about England beforehand or whatever without being in on that it's very difficult to to get the full picture so i know exactly what you mean and that was just me being away for a couple of weeks
0: i gotta ask man what was uh i'd be remiss if i didn't you know i gave you a whole host of places that you could potentially hit up when you came here to the states uh what what'd you get done what what stood out to you good or bad
2: god um well my wife also my wife's fantastically organised, and she, she did a little tour book for me beforehand with you know facts and things and that, but also places to go and see. The things I actually did go and see, away from football grounds, were pretty limited because um, as you as you may have seen, I was flying every two or three days. I had a flight, and more, you know more often than not, it was it was at least a two or three hour flight, which you know for me would get me from Manchester to Barcelona or or to Munich or. Or to Milan. Um, so, you know, I was, I was traveling a lot, great distances. So, you know, I was, I was kind of, when it was absolutely necessary, like when I got to Seattle, it was, it was all about sleep. I had a quick wander around the town, and I saw the Space Needle and that kind of thing. But I didn't see a great deal of Seattle when I was in. In Houston, I tried to see as much as possible, but again, you pretty much just downtown. You, you, you really had that one
0: backwards. You, 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 most Americans would tell you you had that one a little bit backwards.
2: No, no, I, I, I know, and people did tell me in Houston there's not a lot to do, but I, basically what I tried to do was as much as possible, but because I was in Houston for four days, I had more time to do stuff. I was in Seattle for less than 48 hours, and no time, had a, no
0: time to do it. Yeah,
2: I had two hours sleep, six hour flight. Then I was there and then slept that day, did a bit of work. And that was the day that the port deal fell through. So there was a bit of work on that. Then it was the next day was the game. And yeah, um, so it, my my time was pretty much dictated by how long I had in the cities. And only in Houston and New Jersey, well, New York, did I have any more than two days. So yeah, in terms of the site, I mean, the main touristy thing I did besides the games was going to a Yankees game in New York which I really enjoyed Uh, you know enjoyed the experience and the spectacle of it Uh, who were they playing that day season ticket they got the they had the Minnesota Twins who I'd never heard of before
0: but
2: but it was decent it was good Um, yeah it's it's not it's not a great.
0: How are the stadiums? Right? I mean, Yankee Stadiums is really a poor, really poor litmus test because it's one of the more expensive stadiums in 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 all of Major League Baseball. But but you know, I've always heard. Y- and it's understandable. I try to to contextualize that when when Man City fans were having the huge debate over the ticket prices, and and what Champions League tickets should cost, et cetera, et cetera. Mm. I, I always had to frame that in context of okay, these these are fans that have been used to paying this price. Like you have, if I view it through my lens, it's ethnocentric. Which my lens is. Dude, what's the big deal? You're taught like average starting ticket price for some of our crap is like 225 bucks. And you guys are bitching about a hundred and twenty dollar ticket like, Mm. you know, but at the same time, like I said, you have to frame it in the context of this is what families have been paying you know their whole lives and these are people they've literally been seated next to their whole lives they've grown up sitting next to and that's that's just an entirely different you know construct than we have here in the states but how was the uh the uh, the amenities of the stadiums uh in terms of pricing as compared to to the uk
2: well uh, there was a lot more you know obviously being a journalist, I was intended to be up um, in the press box where all the, you know all the food is free and that, but I often I couldn't get on with the the indoor press box and you know being behind a screen and not being part of the atmosphere, so often I went down and sat in any seat I could find, um, often they were the VIP seats actually um, and in the Leval stadium, I think the security guard said they'd cost eighty thousand $80, dollars I think something like that um, to to have that to reserve that seat. Or that area for fifteen years, and then obviously you pay five hundred dollars a ticket for each game, um, which is mad pricing. I mean, that is that is mad to comprehend. You know, you need to, you know, pay a. I'm trying to think of the right word, but you know, you basically a need small to pay,
0: mortgage. It's a mortgage, dude. That's what it, it is.
2: Exactly. Well, yeah. Exactly. I mean, imagine if if City or United introduced that, you go, oh yeah. By the way, if you want this seat for ten years, you need to pay forty thousand pound. It would never happen. I would they, love they could, to see those. They could never get away. Yeah, I would love to. See, I would love to see that proposed. Even if, even if it was an article from one journalist who had found out that it was bandied around in one board meeting, I'd love to see the reaction to that because it would just go mad. Um, but other, yeah, other than that, um, from what I did see, there's so much choice in the food you can get because over here it's pretty much you know a burger or a pie or a chocolate bar, and they're pretty expensive, probably about five quid. But I mean, the food over there was expensive. But there was just so much of it, so many different options, and and it looked really good. Um, even I saw chicken wings there that were better than in the restaurants you get in the UK. And it, it all just it all just looked really good. Obviously, the beer price is fourteen dollars or whatever for a Bud Light, and ridiculously expensive compared to over here. But at least you, you know, at least you can take the beer into the stadium and you kind of trust it to to get on with it and sit in your seat and. And enjoy it I've, I've really enjoyed this experience you know apart from the the indoor press boxes which is just wait a minute big different they, thing.
0: they they don't sell beer in the stadium at- yeah
2: so they do in the stadium but you need to drink it on the concourse you can't take it into the seat
0: oh wow i would have yeah. never known that yeah but you, maybe we should institute that rule in 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 some cases gray uh, there are fans who do abuse that rule, but yeah. As, was, as a you know.
3: frequent attender of baseball games, I would not object in the slightest if we did.
2: <laughs> there is yeah, that. no, nobody was too, nobody was too, was too drunk around me when I went and it was a Friday night, which I was quite surprised about, but Damn. I suppose, you know, if you go, once, you put it, you put it down to, you put it down to an experience anyway. If you go every time, then you probably get sick of it.
0: Well, I mean, that's a mighty fine thing to do in the States. Say you went and sat in an $80,000 seat at Yankee Stadium and watched a baseball game. That's really no small thing to scoff at. Like, would would you put that as, like, the highlight of, of the trip then? I mean, not to say that that's in any way, shape, or form a, a, a meager highlight.
2: I'm trying to think, God, what would be the highlight of the trip? I haven't even thought of that since I got back. Um, I mean, obviously... Hey, you can't real- count the game. He's going to 11 matches. Um, what was the best bit? I, I, it, God, it sounds like a lame answer, but genuinely everything was, genuinely everything was really good. Even, even the flights worked out right. There was only one flight that was delayed, and that was my last one out of the States up into Canada for a few days. Everything genuinely was really good. I didn't have too much time to go and do tourist stuff. I didn't have too much time to go out and have a drink uh, and you know, in, enjoy the nightlife anywhere. It was just, it was mad, it was crazy, but it was all good. Um, I suppose covering the final and the way that ended, the storyline there, and Messi retiring, that you know, I couldn't sleep for hours after that with the adrenaline. It was it was four or five in the morning, but I still couldn't sleep because of the adrenaline of of covering that game. And I, that, I think that was, I suppose, the final was probably the highlight, even though it, you know, it, it certainly wasn't the best game of the tournament. As far as journalism goes, I love, I love a narrative. I love a story. So that was the best that was probably thing, the highlight, yeah. actually. Exactly, yeah. yeah.
0: La- last question I'll ask you before we, we, we let you get out of here and, and tell us where people can find you on social media and what you've got mm. coming ah, yes. up. I know Messi unretired, but I was okay with his retirement because I think a lot of people failed to understand that this just wasn't the the lambasting that he had taken in the press i mean it's not like messi no, had provided not. higuain with golden opportunities <laughs> um but but it, uh, there were very real and sincere threats made against his family and people just aren't getting that like this was literally becoming a potential physical danger for him and it made the utmost sense to me why he would say this BS is not worth it.
2: There's, there's again, it's it's kind of like a Sterling situation. There's so many things that tie into it. I mean, first of all, you can't you can't overplay how gutted he would have been to have lost a third final in a row, having been the centre of attention and you know the man who was going to deliver it. I mean, losing two in two years is one thing; three in three years. Never been done. Um, I knew at the time that you probably you wouldn't ever have ever heard of the Buffalo of Bills. <laughs> my, <laughs> my US sporting knowledge is.
0: So the Buffalo is, Bills go, go were, are, are an NFL team that reached four straight Super Bowls and lost every single one of them, Jeez. each with an increasingly larger margin. Uh, the first <laughs> one, the first one they lost, would go down in the annals of a, like a Steven Gerrard slip. Think about it like that. Oh, excellent. Yeah. Now. So that be a, That that was how they lost the 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 first crown and then they just got Mm. progressively worse as a matter of fact for a while there there was a really dumb joke that bill stood for boy i love losing super bowls um so yeah (laughs) we've seen teams lose four in a row so okay well
2: fair enough (laughs) and i I was thinking i was thinking soccer but yeah that's that's exceptionally rare (laughs) exceptionally well it is it is um but then to tie into that and also what he said about the threats, um, you've also got, you know, he did a press conference two days before the final, after he did that Instagram post saying the the AFA are a disaster. Um, but he said, you know, it wasn't about a delayed plane on a runway. It was about loads of other stuff that, that the players have had to put up with for years, but they haven't mentioned, but it's finally come to a head. And he was obviously sick of the, you know, the organisation and, you know, whether they're you know, corrupt or not, you know, it, you know, their their government has basically thrown out their their football association because of irregularities in their election. So it's all come to a head for him. There's so many things tied into that. Yeah, um, it it's it's not just the bog standard heat of the moment, sod it, I'm quitting kind of thing. It was heat of the moment, but in the most magnified, intense possible way. I think that a heat of the moment decision could ever be made.
0: Well, with that, uh, we would like to give this opportunity for you to, A, let people know how they can locate you on social media, and B, if you have any things with goal that you're working on and can share, because obviously, you know, you're going to want to keep some projects under wraps, but if you're working on some things that you can share, please take this time to to let people know all of that stuff, man. This is This is your hour of power. Okay, well I'll I'll keep it short since we're into
2: my third hour of power here. Um on Twitter, as I'm sure you, were, it, you very kindly tweeted out beforehand, my, my handle is at Sammy underscore. Um uh, kind of taken on that handle out of out of nowhere. But it seems to be working quite well. Um on Facebook, annoyingly, it's sammygoalmcfc. Goal Uh but if you t- if you type in Sam Lee, hopefully that will come up. Um, among the other you know Chinese comedians that have come up with the same name uh that's sammy or m c f c on facebook that's where a lot of my stuff goes out, including the live videos that I was doing from the states in the Copper America and the live videos I was doing today um after because I, I went to the United press conference just as part as being a manchester journalist but also which brings me on to the the next thing I suppose the next big project is. Two weeks today, uh, I'll be going. I'll be going to China for City's pre-season tour. Um, I'm also covering a United game. i will be doing United against Dortmund in Shanghai. Then I'll be doing United against City in Beijing, which is going to be unthinkable, really, in terms of the Guardiola and Mourinho content. And then I'm going to be finishing off it in Shenzhen at the end of the month with Dortmund against City. So that is my next big project, and I can't believe, having only just come back from America, that two weeks today I'm going to be flying to China again. So, yeah, if you want to keep up with me, um, that's my Twitter and Facebook, and I'm sure if you follow either one for a long enough period of time, you'll see my Instagram as well, which is also Goal, and, yeah, photos and videos on there, and links to exclusive interviews and stories and whatever else I can come up with between, well, now and the end of Guardiola's reign. Maybe I'll be ready for a sabbatical by the time Guardiola's done with the City.
0: Well, I know that <clears throat> I can't thank you enough and I'll let Gray close it out, but... I, I seriously cannot thank you enough. Not only are you one of the best Twitter followers, but you've been very gracious today. I certainly did not mean to keep you this long, and I can promise that we will be more time efficient when we have to. No, no, I think it's probably me. It, it, it,
2: tends to, it tends to be me. If ever ever done podcasts or or radio appearances, it's it's normally me talking too long. So don't know. Don't you've got nothing to apologize for? Don't worry well about. Well,
0: then, that. in that case, we'll do this again, and I won't sweat about the time. I'll, I'll let you do. No, you. that's fine. Um, but Gray, why don't you go ahead and uh, and take us home, and and we will get out of here.
3: I would be remiss before we go. First of all, thank you, Sam. This was enlightening. Second of all, I would be remiss if I didn't mention that we have our own Twitter now. You can follow us at America Citizens, not American America Citizens. Don't mess it up. It's very with important. a Y city with a Y citizens. Yes. Um, and if you're interested in following our personal accounts, they are in the bio there. I'm not going to bother trying to read my Twitter name again because it's a nightmare. So, with that in mind, thanks for listening, um, and thanks for your time. And we'll talk to you again soon. Um, So thanks for listening to American Citizens. That's all I got.